On this episode, I interviewed Sam Moore, who's the Director of Sports Science at North Carolina State and Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach. The main topic of this podcast was the menstrual cycle and performance. So we first broke down the menstrual cycle, and Sam talked about the different phases of it. We then talked about the different symptoms that you can get within each phase and some of the most common ones and ways she recommends to help manage that. We then talked about the hormonal changes throughout the different phases of the cycle and how the body goes from catabolic to anabolic and which different hormones mean what. We then talked about how she implemented all this information into training and how she structured different types of training for pe- for females in different s- stages of the cycle and different phases of the cycle. Uh, we then talked about how it affects certain things such as performance. And then we finished on talking about contraceptives and how this changes things slightly, but how all the same principles can still be applied. So an up-and-coming topic that I think is going to see quite a bit of stuff coming out that's probably going to be really beneficial and could have some great changes. So yeah, keep an eye on Sam and in this space of research. Great episode. Here it is. Welcome to No Week Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date, evidence-based content and knowledge through your life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Sam Moore, who is a director of sports science at North Carolina State University and also the, an assistant strength, strength and conditioning coach there. So really appreciate you being on, Sam. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, the menstrual cycle and periods and how that relates to performance um, in the female athlete. So thank you very much, Sam, for being on again. If you just want to kind of give a brief overview of your background how you got into um, this topic, and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, um, I mean, first I want to say thank you. I know it it was definitely a long time coming, and I know you had to be pretty flexible with the Australia to North Carolina time zone, so thank you for that. Um, it's always a, a big honor, you know, when someone's willing to, to host you and, and put you on their platform, so thank you for that as well. Um, this is a big service to your female followers or, you know, your followers that menstruate. Um, or know people that do. Um, I played two sports in college. I was a volleyball player and a track and field athlete. Um, And it wasn't until I had a season-ending knee injury that I was into anatomy at all. I actually went as an English major because that was my strong suit in high school. And um, when I was, you know, freshly 18 and the doctor said, if you want to keep playing, you can, but it's up to you and it's probably not recommended. And also let's look at Greg Odin from the Blazers because he just had the same surgery that you did. And I was like, oh, shoot. Um, You know, that's a pretty stark realization when when volleyball is your only identity. So that's when I I switched to biology um, and I ended up transferring to find an exercise science program that was applicable. strength and conditioning was was ultimately what gave me my game back my strength coaches at portland and at western and so that's what got me into it in the first place uh they say that you never really know what you have till it's gone right and nine months without my game after my first surgery was a big realization um so i finished my bachelor's i did an undergrad uh internship at western oregon in strength and conditioning Um, And then I worked a number of of random jobs. I was a Spanish teacher and a PE teacher and a barista, and I, you know, did all the things to to make the ends meet. I got my master's degree in sports performance and injury prevention, 
And um, that was when I was teaching as a PE teacher and I knew that I wanted to be back in college sports, but I didn't exactly know what capacity. Um, I had coached collegiate volleyball. I had done the strength and conditioning realm. um, And I, I don't think that my brain is unique in the way that I like to tackle problems, but I do think that, you know, once I, once I solve a problem, I'm ready to go to the next one. And so uh, the cyclical nature of strength and conditioning, I just wanted something that had to do with performance, but was a little bit different than that. And that's when I found the sports science internship at University of Utah with Dr. Ernie Reimer. Um, and I applied and I remember I told him, I was super upfront. I'm like, listen, you said something about algorithms and I know that that's on my Instagram and I don't know anything past that. And I also don't really know what sports science is, but I'm a very good learner. And that's all I have to offer you. And he was like, all right, great, you're hired. Um, And so it was right around that time that I was the head track and field coach at a high school. And I had this one athlete who in her sophomore season had broken records and gone to stay in this 3K and the 15 and just had this blowout season. And she lifted really well that summer and she had a great basketball season and she came back and it just wasn't there for her. Like she wasn't able to, she was like dropping out of races. She wasn't able to sustain the training and and I didn't understand it, right? And so, you know, as a coach, you're like, this is my responsibility. I have to figure this out. And so that's when I found a podcast from Dr. Stacey Sims in New Zealand um, about with uh, Mobility Wad, uh, Kelly Starrett, I think is his name. And so I listened to it and that was the first time, I think I was 25 or 24, the first time I had ever thought about the connection between our period and our our menstrual cycle as a whole and training and performance. And so, you know, I always like remind people, especially male coaches that we're not brought into this room as women or people that menstruate and and taught about how this affects us. Like we get the same Cosmo articles that you do and we get the same seventh grade health talk and that's it. That's all we get. And we only ever learn about our menstrual cycle in terms of its intention, right? And that's procreation. We don't learn about its impact, especially as athletes. And so at 24, I'm like realizing this and I'm reading all these articles on Google Scholar and I'm reading Stacey Sims book and I'm just having this like revelation. And so when I got to Utah, I kind of, I explained to Ernie that that, that was, you know, my passion project and, um, and why I wanted to pursue a PhD and I wanted to pursue research in it. And I wanted a discipline where I could, right? Because in strength and conditioning, there's so much minutia of being a strength coach, especially at the collegiate level. Um, that often your hands are tied in terms of like bigger picture research. And the more that I get into it, the more that, that I learn about what research really takes because I've got these big picture ideas, right? But research, you have to answer these really tiny little questions and it moves pretty slowly. And so at Utah, Ernie started giving me opportunities to implement some of the, the training frameworks that I had developed with this one athlete as a high school coach. Um, and that was when we found the opportunity at NC State. Um, It was a hybrid role, which was really necessary for me so that I could implement the framework that I had created, um, but also have the time in my schedule as, you know, a 50% sports scientist to, to write it up and to continue to learn it and to tweak it. Because when you're programming in this capacity, it it is a little bit more um, strenuous, I guess, than, than a general program. Um, And so you have to be able to take in data and understand what it means and then create and make the adjustments in the programming. And so I applied for the job at NC State and and Nate Brickerson was the director at the time. And he asked me, you know, what's your dream job? And I explained it to him and I explained what I thought needed to be done to move women's athletics towards a more 
equitable place, um, you know, in the U.S., but also on a global scale. And, you know, six weeks later, he hired me just to do that. So I'm pretty lucky. Both of the teams that I work with, I get a lot of freedom and I get to have these two different ways to implement uh, cycle differentiated training, including, you know, birth control options and things like that. Uh, for women's soccer and volleyball, and it's been a it's been a really incredible experience. So, yeah, great journey and great way to find your passion, I guess. Hey, um, the first thing maybe we can topic we can touch on and kind of delve into on this topic, I guess, would just be going over generally the the cycle, whether that be ovarian or uterine, and then we can kind of um, kind of go from there. Yeah, so just uh, start talking on your knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think one of the, the common um, misconceptions, I guess, is that when we say cycle, we mean period, right? And so understanding cycle in its nature, it's cyclical, it's always happening. Um, so the menstrual cycle, we're always happening from puberty to, to menopause, right? Um, and so you know, we're, we're taught also that it's this 28-day thing, that it's every four weeks, that it starts on a Monday and it ends on a Sunday. Um, and, you know, we know that that's not really how it works. We're also taught that if you don't have, you know, this 28-day really specific cycle, then you're abnormal. And the more research that we see, the more that we see that that's not really the case, right? So uh, the average length of a cycle is a little bit closer to 35 days, 32 to 35 Um it can be it can be anywhere in that range. It can be up to forty. It can be down to you know twenty four. Um, a lot of factors affect that. So you can even see fluctuation of like seven to nine days from cycle to cycle, depending on stress and nutrition and training status and training load. Um, and and so there's a number of factors that can affect it. But once you start tracking it, you can start to see some some common things within the individual, um, and that's also important. So you never want to compare individual to another individual. You just want to compare the individual to them themselves. Um, but if we're going to talk about just like the general cycle, average of, you know, 32 to 35 days, um, we can split it up into two phases, right? So day one of cycle is day one of the period. And that begins the follicular phase. And when we think about follicular phase, we can think about the follicle, right? So we're growing the follicle. Um, and the follicular phase goes up until the day before ovulation. So we've grown this follicle, the day of ovulation, that's usually a midpoint in the cycle. Um, in our 28 day calendars, you know, you can put it at day 14, 13, 14 ovulation, we release this egg, right? And then, you know, from there, that would be the luteal phase. So that's the end of the follicular phase, the beginning of the luteal. So the follicular is the first half, the luteal is the second half. When we look at the hormonal landscape of the follicular, it's characterized by really low progesterone and low estrogen and low testosterone because you have to have that really low levels to signal the shed of the lining. So when the body sees those low levels, then it triggers the shed of the lining. That's the period, right? Periods can last between three to seven days, you know, different levels of, of flow depending on the individual. Um, so then, you know, after the, the shed of the lining is triggered, you see a bit of an uptick in, in all, all the, the hormones really small. And then you see estrogen and testosterone rise. And so you can see those two beginning to rise and they're going to hit their peak at ovulation. And that's what signals ovulation. But progesterone stays really low. And so that's really important to understand that in that follicular phase, that's when estrogen and testosterone 
are building and they're going to hit their peak, but you see progesterone staying at its lowest point throughout the entire cycle, right? So those two hit their peak, that signals ovulation. Now we're at the midpoint. We start our luteal phase. Once the egg is released, those two come down and we see progesterone starting to rise. So that release of the follicle signals those two to drop and progesterone to rise. And we see this crossing effect. And that crossing effect at the beginning of the luteal phase, we can see um, a lot of sleep disturbances because uh, estrogen and progesterone often have anti-effects on each other, right? Um, And so you can see mood decrease a bit in that phase. But for the most part, what I see with my athletes is a lower quality of sleep. So they'll sleep for longer, but they won't feel as rested in that crossing stage of the early luteal phase. So then progesterone keeps rising, estrogen dips, but then it begins to come back up, but testosterone stays low. So then you get to the midpoint of the luteal phase, and now we're in that second half, right? And progesterone is at its highest peak, and estrogen has also has a smaller peak, right? So it's not as high as it was when it signaled ovulation, but it did does come up to, to rise again in that luteal phase. Then once your body realizes that the egg has not been fertilized, both of them drop off to that really, really low level to signal shedding, and we're at the beginning of the cycle again. So, you know, it is sometimes easier to, to look at it in a, in a picture, but we can understand that for the most part that follicular phase is characterized by high estrogen and high testosterone. And then that luteal phase is characterized by much higher progesterone and then an up and down of estrogen. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, um, I found actually when I was trying to understand this, a picture that I'll try and put in the show notes to help understand. But in summary, ovarian cycle, you have the follicular phase, low progesterone, high estrogen and testosterone, then goes into your ovulation, which is mid mid part of the cycle into your luteal phase which kind of has two different um, sections of it but the main part is progesterone is high throughout and estrogen and testosterone are lower correct perfect all right so i guess moving on we can kind of go into more of those symptoms you get with a um, kind of within uh, the the cycle and ways that you kind of go about managing those in order for athletes to still perform and still train yeah, so symptoms are symptoms are interesting. Um, they're signaled obviously by the the fluctuation of your endogenous hormones, right? If you're obviously not taking a, an exogenous hormone, um, but so you have to really understand estrogen and progesterone, I think, to to understand the symptoms. And so when we talk about estrogen, we're talking about estradiol or E two is how it's often represented in in textbooks. Um, And so estrogen itself is anabolic, which is great, right? That means we can build muscle. Um, It increases your time to fatigue and submax tests. It can decrease muscle stiffness a bit, which can increase some joint laxity. Um, And so that's where, you know, the big boom in the early 2000s about how estrogen, you know, breaks ACLs. That's where we got that from. Um, Estrogen has also shown that it can spare carbohydrates and increase free fatty acid utilization. Um, so those are all just things to keep in mind in that, that first half of the phase. Um, and then when we look at progesterone, progesterone has anti-estrogenic effects, right? So it, it goes against a lot of the benefits that, that estrogen makes. And progesterone, its biggest component is that it's catabolic. So when progesterone is present, it's really difficult for us to build muscle or even maintain muscle. So that's when we're talking about you know traditional periodization 
Um, you know, if you've got a really high stressor, high training load week and, and an athlete's in that mid luteal phase when progesterone is at its peak, you're doing more damage than good, right? So, um, progesterone also can decrease the metabolic improvements made from estrogen. So while we see the better time to the longer time to fatigue and submax test, we can see the opposite when progesterone is present. Um, it can increase leucine and fat oxidation. It decreases your thermoregulation abilities. So, um, a lot of times in research when identifying which phase of the cycle the participants are in, um, they'll do basal body temperature, right? Because it'll be two to three degrees higher um, when progesterone is, is present in higher levels. And it's been really interesting having to take my temperature every day for work now being you know in the COVID-19 pandemic um, and seeing the way that my temperature fluctuates, but that's another time. Um, it, it also, and this is a really big one, because it's catabolic, it decreases the mTOR pathway. And so if, if you know, you know metabolic pathways, you know that that mTOR pathway is how we build muscle and build strength, right? Um, when we talk about protein timing, it's for that mTOR pathway. And so that's how progesterone creates that catabolic environment is by decreasing that, that mTOR pathway capability. Um, and so those are the two biggest, biggest that, that you'll notice. I think in terms of, of symptoms, you'll see like mood and confidence can, can fluctuate throughout cycle. Um, communication can, can be better at different points and worse at, at different points. We see that anxiety and depression are two of the most common symptoms experienced in premenstrual uh, disorder. And so, you know, when you look at premenstrual symptoms and then premenstrual disorder, those are two different things in terms of the severity that those symptoms are experienced. But anxiety and depression are two of the most common that are experienced in, in PMS. Um, you know, you can look at cramping and gastrointestinal implications during that first part of the follicular phase. Um, you know, your meta, obviously your metabolism is going to fluctuate with, with your fuel utilization. So, there's times when uh, when you're going to feel more exhausted, and that could be a result because of uh, because of the change in sleep. Right, you're not your thermoregulation abilities aren't as good, so you can't get down into REM, so you're not going to feel as rested. But it could also be a change in your fuel utilization. So if you can't use carbs as well, and you do that pregame meal of carbs three hours before, by the time you get to the court, you just can't use those. Right, so that's not really a functional meal if you're in a certain phase. So um, symptoms can vary a lot for the individual. And I would say the best way to start navigating those is to start tracking them as soon as possible. And then once you see commonalities of when you're feeling which symptoms, then you can start to identify what's causing those symptoms and find some behavioral or nutritional strategies for those. Yeah. So then expanding upon that. So when you do have those symptoms, um, I guess, what do you recommend the best way of kind of tracking your cycle in general, and then maybe ways to correlate those uh, and kind of expand upon and learn uh, about those different symptoms? Yeah. So I think that's a really, really good question. And I think it's important um, because a lot of the, the information or content that we see might not be specific or, or applicable to the individual, right? So one person might experience uh, gastrointestinal distress during the early follicular phase, and that's for a much different reason than it might be if it were, you know, early luteal phase, right? So kind of understanding when you're having the symptoms and then what's the hormonal landscape during that time that could be causing is going to better guide what interventions might help alleviate those symptoms. Um, and so I think there's a few ways to do it. So the way that I do it with my athletes is I made a Google questionnaire 
Um, and it's got, you know, typical performance metrics that we track in a daily wellness questionnaire, you know, your sleep quantity, your sleep quality, uh, which is, you know, both self-perceived, your motivation levels, and then some some psychological and physical symptoms, I guess. Um, and, and it's positive and negative, right? So like some days you wake up and you're like, I feel so good. I am just like jumping out of the gym today. I feel super motivated. I feel super grateful, right? Um, and then some days you just like wake up and you're like, I haven't even opened my eyes and I know today is not my day, right? Um, And so I think making sure you get that four quadrants, right? So you get positive and negative, um, psychological and physical. Um, There's a few good apps out there. So most apps are are like for like... um, What's it? I can't even remember what the name of it, like ovulation tracking of like when you want to get pregnant, you know, Um, but there are some other ones. So Fit Our Woman is a good one that I, you know, have used for myself being like a retired athlete now. Um, It's F-I-T-R-W-O-M-A-N. And it was developed by Georgie Brunvilles with Orico and Dr. Stacey Sims. Um, and so, and that's a good one. It it gives a lot of really good content too, depending on like what phase you're in. And and once you start tracking your period days and your symptoms in that, then you can see that content of like, okay, so because this is my average length, this is the phase that I'm probably in. Now I can look at like nutritional recommendations and things like that. And you can see when your common symptoms are. Um, and a lot of times, you know, for me, like if I have an athlete that, that's experiencing a specific symptom and they've approached me to figure out, you know, a good intervention to help with it, I just do a quick search on Google Scholar. You know, like what what does the relevant research say in terms of strategies? Because there there's a lot out there. Um, we just don't even think to look. So I think, you know, using some level of tracking, whether that's, you know, a, a journal that, that you just write down every day, um, you know, what day it is, you know, if you started your period that day and what your symptoms are. Um, I think it's twofold, right? So it'll give you some trends to be able to figure out what symptoms you're feeling when, um, which will guide your interventions, but it also will increase that level of self-awareness. And I think self-awareness is something, especially with women, that that we could afford to to go the extra mile with and start to you know, develop that. Because then once you're done, you know, and, and I don't know if you experienced this, but I know for me, like, you know, when I retired, I'm like, well, I don't even know how, how to uh, figure out how I feel today. Like I, I don't know what to train for. I don't know why. I don't know how to figure out what my body needs today. Like that's not even a question I've ever thought about asking myself like that. We avoided that question. Right. Um, because as a collegiate athlete, you probably like needed a nap and maybe like a two week break. Right. But that wasn't in the cards. So, um, so I think that developing that self-awareness and kind of figuring out how do I feel today? Where am I? What can I do and what do I need to do? Right. And so I think that those daily tracking apps are great. Um, you know, writing it down in a good old, you know, pen to paper is a good way to them. I guess two questions kind of off of that. So I guess one, if you could maybe go over maybe like one or two of the most common symptoms and ways that you've kind of gone about managing managing those with your athletes so that they can continue on. But another question added on to that is, especially for the male coaches um, or just the female athletes that are then having to bring this up with their coaches, how do you, I think it was you on a podcast talked about maybe framing it more as a performance aspect instead of just more, instead of a, a private health issue um, and try and think about it more of that way but how do you recommend maybe go about um, both parties being more comfortable talking about it um, and then yeah go into the 
couple of common ways you would manage most common symptoms. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a good one. So I think, I think that the biggest one that I would say, obviously cramps, we talk about cramps all the time. Cramps is, I see it cited as like the top reason that the athletes are going on the pill, right. To get rid of cramps. Um, and cramps, there are so many strategies to help alleviate cramps. Um, you know, there's your, your little cocktail of, of, uh, magnesium and omega threes and, um, baby aspirin, right? That's what Dr. Stacey Sims talks about. Um, there is, there's some research, I think with vitamin C, there's research with really light aerobic activity. There's research with just education, like just learning about what's happening can, can lower that tracking your, your cramps of when you're having them and the severity, when you track your symptoms, that can also, lead to decreased severity of, of going through those symptoms, which is really interesting. Um, but I think the, the one that I would love to talk about is sleep. So when I see these, these common trends, a lot of times my athletes will be like, Oh, I didn't report it because I didn't think it had to do with my cycle. And I'm like, okay, so first of all, we don't even know the full you know, impact of the menstrual cycle. So who are you? You don't know that. I don't know that. Right. Um, but the more that you can report, the more that you can tell me, the more I can help with. Um, but I think when we see sleep, so, so we, sometimes we like separate it, right? So for me, there's three days in my luteal phase, uh, where I feel like a walking zombie. Like I could sleep for 14 hours and I open my eyes and I'm exhausted, right? And I'm tired all day and I can barely make it through the day. And for some reason I, I have in the past like disconnected those of the quality of my sleep and how tired I feel going through my day, right? And so when we look at that, we can look at how when progesterone is high, your thermoregulation abilities aren't as good because they're already activated, right? So when you're running hotter, just at default, those they're going to be activated. So they're, they're not going to work as well. So you're like time to sweat is going to be longer. I always feel like garbage in the first 15 minutes of, of a hard workout in that phase, because it, it takes longer to sweat. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where like you're working so hard and you're so hot, but your body hasn't started sweating yet. It's just like not efficient. It sucks. It's like one of the worst feeling ever, right? Um, and so when your sleep is really low quality because you can't get into REM and you can't get into deep sleep, not only are you not like emotionally recovering, but you're also not physically recovering. So we can see our HRV goes really, really low, right? Because we're, we're in that state of, of catabolism. We're breaking down. We're, we're not well recovered. We're not prepared. And so I think the things that I've done that have helped is like cool my room down. So I used to love like sleeping in a warm and toasty room, but in those three days I have to make it colder because I have to, you know, take a blanket off of my bed. I'll drink some of that cold tart cherry juice that, that Dr. Sims talks about because it increases your production of uh, melatonin. It also helps with that estrogen that's low. And it just cools you down before you go to bed. Taking a cool shower before bed can help. Um, and so, you know, doing some behavioral changes before I go to sleep will help my quality of sleep, which then turns it and helps me throughout the day. So I think that sleep is one. I think that's the most, you know, there have been a lot of people that have, have talked about sleep with college athletes, but it's it's the last part of performance that that we really haven't developed as a discipline, right? We talk about it. We, we tell our athletes it's important. Um, when I was at Utah, Ernie had, you know, different mechanisms of how he wanted to try and, and manipulate sleep so that his, the football players could get better sleep. Right. Um, 
but you know, I think, I think it's that last part and oftentimes we disconnect it or we find other excuses of, of why it's happening or if I was up late to study or I had this or that. And, you know, a lot of times it's really as simple as like cooling your AC, you know, down a little bit, opening a window, drinking, you know, a cold thing or a cold shower or something like that. So, um, you know, looking at when you're having bad sleep or when you're experiencing more fatigue and then, trying some sleep mechanisms, even if you're like, I just slept for 14 hours. What do you mean? I'm not sleeping well. Right. Um, and so looking at, at sleep is something I think that would be great and, and really beneficial for that, that luteal phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it, and then correlating, like you said, that kind of with the, your tracking app of, if, uh, with the sleep aspect of monitoring like you did, and then using those different ways to adjust and try to help counteract that to then keep up that performance level. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then your second question regarding like those conversations, I think that's huge. That's, it's super important and it's kind of a, um, you know, it's, it's an intangible piece of this that a lot of male coaches specifically are really afraid to ask, right? Cause they're like, how, how do I even talk? Like that's, I can't even talk about that. Right. Like I remember when I first got to Utah, I was told like, there just seems you some things you like, can't really ask. And I was like, no, people are asking, like people are doing it. Right. Um, and so I think the advice that I always give is that performance has to be the theme, right? So, so the goal is performance. And when we talk about the menstrual cycle, because we're always taught about it in terms of its intention, right? Procreation. We're not taught about it in terms of its impact. And that's our performance. That's our health. That's our, our, like, we are going through this on a daily basis. We should be able to talk about it, right? Um, And, you know, if you've worked with like collegiate women's teams, a lot of times they're way more forthcoming with that information than, than some male coaches would like, right? Like, you know, I had a soccer athlete, I'll never forget. I was, you know, talking to one of the soccer coaches about something before practice and an athlete like yelled across the field. She's like, Sam, I started my period today. And the coach is like, wow, you've like really got something going here, you know? So like they, they are forthcoming. And I think once you start to explain some of the science behind it, like the buy-in and watching those those lights go off in their head is is huge, but it has to be performance and then also accountability, right? So I had a really good concern from from a very tenured college volleyball coach once, and, and she said, she's like, I don't want this to be an excuse. I don't want us to start implementing and looking at some of this, and then you have an athlete you know, that comes in and she's like, well, I'm in my late luteal phase. So like, I just really shouldn't really have a lot of volume today. So like a five set match just isn't going to work. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not what we're here for because once we teach our athletes about what's happening, they start tracking it. They can find their symptoms of when it's happening. And then we can teach them interventions that, that are going to help then now they're accountable, right? So now they come in and they're like, I slept like garbage. I don't feel good. I'm not into this, right? And you're like, well, did you do X, Y, and Z? Because you know that when you sleep like garbage in this phase, those things can help and those things have helped, right? Um, and so there's, there's that accountability that once you educate them, now they're accountable to what you've taught them and, and what's happening in their own body. And I don't think that I, I don't have a problem with that oftentimes, Um, but you know, that is something too, that, that a lot of coaches will bring up of like, this shouldn't be an excuse. And like, this isn't an excuse, right. But 
we have to acknowledge that this is happening to our players. Uh, there was there was one research study, and it came out I think in in April um, of 2020, actually, at a University of Western Scotland, and it was um, it was how the menstrual cycle and menstruation itself affect sporting performances. And so it was these elite female rugby players and their experiences and their perceptions of how it affects them. And 93 percent relate or reported negative symptoms associated with their menstrual cycle. 93% and 67% said that menstruation impaired their performance, right? And so, or that their performance was impaired at some point that was due to their cycle. That's almost 70%. If almost 70% of your athletes are going through this and you're not talking about it, like maybe you're not being accountable, you know? So I think you need to understand like, if you're working with female athletes or if you're working with athletes who menstruate and this isn't a topic that you're learning about to, to teach them to learn together, right? To navigate this um, and help lead them through it as their training professional, then then what are you doing? Because you're, you're missing out, like you're not doing that due diligence, I think. And so yeah, phrasing it as not as a crutch, but a way to make sure you hold them accountable to uh mitigate as much issues as they can to perform at the highest level right just like we should hold ourselves accountable to learn this information right once we've been exposed to it you know i think you know it's it's dr my angelou right she says like when you know better do better like we can't shame ourselves for not knowing these things when we didn't know them right um but once you once you hear about it then you know it should be part of your process to pursue it and learn it yeah definitely um i guess Maybe now we can kind of move into, you know, I've gone over the symptoms and the general cycle, kind of how you implement all of this into making your programs and how this fits in with increasing performance of um, the of women. Yeah. Yeah. So I think obviously you're going to want to break it down into like in season, out of season, right? What are your key performance indicators for each of those phases? Um, and then essentially from there, it's a plug and play, right? So if we know that in the follicular phase, estrogen is high, we see that bump in testosterone right before ovulation, right? That might be when we do some of our rep max testing, or that might be when we put in some of our higher intensity, higher volume work. Um, when we're out of season, you know, when you want to build hypertrophy or you want to, you know, push a max strength week, hit a training set or training max, that's when you're going to want to do that, right? You're going to want to hit that mTOR pathway as much as possible in the follicular phase. And how you structure it could be dependent on the player or the team, right? So I know that some of my athletes don't feel great in on their period. Um, and so that might be, I might save, you know, hitting those training maxes for the second week. I might do some some, you know, moderate volume, moderate intensity work, you know, in that early follicular phase and then pick it, pick them both up in, in the late follicular phase. Um, and then in the luteal phase, that might be when you do some more technically demanding work, right? So um, you've got that higher estrogen, which means that your joint laxity might not be as good, but you've also, uh, you've got that higher progesterone. So you're catabolic, right? So you, you're not necessarily going to want to push hypertrophy or muscular endurance in that phase, your fuel utilization is, has changed a bit, right? So you've got higher leucine turnover, you've got higher fat oxidation. Um, and so you might not necessarily hit those higher intensities. So maybe you do some more aerobic work. Maybe you develop those movement capacities work and do some more technically demanding work, um, right? We talk about like metabolic 
and then, you know, mechanical work. And so, um, you know, you can, you can play with those and, and change them however you see fit. But I think understanding which phase offers you what is important. And then when you move into in-season training, um, I give a lot more, more options to the players, right? So it's very auto-regulation in my in-season training scheme. Um, and that's because different players have different training loads, have, you know, different ways that they react to their cycle and when they feel good and when they feel not as good. And so, uh, you know, if we have our, if we're lifting once, once a week, uh, or, you know, sometimes twice a week, then we're going to do our in-season lift. We're going to have our, our four big movements, our primary movements, and then I'll have on there, you know, like what's your low, moderate and high intensity numbers. And then it's up to them. How do they feel? And then what's their rationale, right? So, the team isn't so big that I can't walk around and ask like, okay, so you chose to stay low today. Tell me about that. You know, did you play more at practice? You got more time in the game, you know, X, Y, and Z, or, or maybe we did just play a five set match, but the player feels really good, you know, but I see the bar moving slowly, right? Then that would be my responsibility as a coach to step in and say, Hey, I see that, that you're trying to push this high intensity on your power clean. Um, it doesn't look great. And if we look at, you know, what you played over the weekend, that makes sense that it doesn't look great, right? So maybe we say it moderate or something like that. So um, it is a lot of auto-regulation and that does require the, the cultivation of an environment where athletes can, um, you know, truly be self-aware and understand how they feel and then why they feel that way and then make the appropriate choice. But I think some guidance is, is definitely necessary on the way to that, um, you know, with, with volleyball, I was able to do it where they train inside. And so they would bring their phones and their lifting plan was on their phone and you just do exactly what's on your phone. Right. So they might have, and they know like, you know, when you're, when you're doing step ups, don't ask the person across the room what they're doing because their program might be different than yours. Right. Um, you just, you do what's on your plan. Right. And, and we do that specialization with position groups. We do it with ages. We do it with maxes. Right. Like if we're going to do, you know, 80 percent of our one rep max that day, that's going to be different for most players. But, you know, for some reason, when I tell strength coaches that you can do it based on cycle, they're like, whoa, we can't have that much difference. You know, um, I was also told once they're like, you can't have it where someone comes into the weight room and they know who's in what part of their cycle. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess just maybe don't come into the weight room. I don't know. Because with soccer, like we just had straight up like two different groups. Like they knew like I'm in the luteal group, I'm in the follicular group. And they know what that means and where it is in the cycle. They also know if you're on birth control, when you're in what group and and why you spend three weeks here and one week here versus two and two versus three and two. And so, you know, sometimes I'll be like, you're in this group, you're in that group. And then I'll have a line of three people and they're like, ah, Sam, I just started my period, but I didn't put it in my questionnaire. I know I'm supposed to be in the follicular group. And so, you know, we'll make changes on the fly like that. But, you know, it was funny. We would have like competitions and they would like talk smack to each other. And you've got one player who's, you know, like talking smack to the barbell group and then like a week later, she's in that group. And, you know, so it, it was it was interesting to, to watch the, their hilarious banter back and forth. But like it was straight up two different groups and their lifting card would say luteal, you know, and then the date that 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 lifting plan was for. And so, um, you know, you can do it where it's a lot more low key and players don't really notice or you can be a lot more clear about it. Um, and I think that was part of it. We started training outside just because of the pandemic and, and the access to the weight room. Um, and so the soccer program bought all of the equipment to do, you know, barbell work outside. So we're doing, you know, full power cleans and, 
and front squats and push press and, and all the things that we need to do just outside on the turf. It was awesome. Um, but you know, so there's multiple ways to do it. I think understanding that it's kind of an iceberg topic, right? You have to understand the 90% below the surface. You got to understand what those hormones are doing and, and when they're present and what it looks like when they're present to be able to, to guide your programming. Mm, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of questions coming off of that one. So, so first, for your off season in general, you uh, with the follicular phase, this is the one you're gonna kind of push more with your if you're trying to you know have your strength testing, you're trying to do a little bit more hypertrophy development. Um, that's when you're gonna push more in general, correct? Yes. So um, if we're in an off season and we're in you know a hypertrophy block, so maybe at the beginning of the off season, that's when I'm gonna push that hypertrophy. But maybe as we get closer to the middle or end of of the off season. I might take the early follicular phase and, and kind of do, you know, a prep week uh, for maxing. So, you know, maybe not officially like a, a max week yet, but but kind of hit that really high intensity, maybe drop the volume a bit. So then when they get to the late follicular phase that next week, then they can hit those multi-rep maxes. Um, and then, you know, but but I think that has to do with where we're at. Um, and so that also requires a lot of flexibility in your testing schedule, right? So you might have, you know, two or three players in a testing week and everyone else is, is in, you know, recovery week or, or a prep week or, you know, something like that, an overload week, who's to say, um, but you have to have some, some flexibility with that. Um, and so that's important too. I think one of the biggest reasons that I've been able to do it, um, is because I, I would call myself a dynamic coach, right? So like, I don't come in and I'm like, this is exactly what we have to do today, right? Like I, I would like to say that I'm pretty flexible and creative. And I think that matters, right? Because when you're working with, when you read female phys research at the end of almost every article, it's it says the same thing, right? It has to be individualized. Training has to be for the individual. And so you go in and and I know what I want to get out of a session, right? I know my, my objective in my head, but the route to get that objective might change as I'm talking to the athlete and watching them move and, and watching them go through the session. So it does require a fair bit of, of dynamic flexibility. Yeah. And then, then your, your luteal that, so you're going to push your follicular in general and then the luteal phase, you kind of back off more because it is a catabolic. Do you push enough to try to get enough volume to still maybe fire the CNS, keep strength up, but then just try not to give too much damage and so on is that your thought process through it as it is catabolic yeah so i think that's a common i guess i would call it a misconception um it's not necessarily that you pull off during the luteal phase it's just that you're changing the objective right so um you might want to target more of that ampk pathway right and and develop a more robust aerobic base during that time which is still good important work that needs to be done um but we miss it a lot right um, and so I think, you know, you, you can also use that time to develop some technique, right? So if you want your athletes to learn a new technique, maybe you're trying to implement a power snatch, right? That's a pretty technically demanding movement. So that might be a time that you'd put in some more drills and teach some more technically demanding work and drop that intensity and drop that volume so that they can focus on the outcome of the movement. And then when you get to the follicular phase again, they have that movement down, they've been practicing the drills, now you can push it with the volume and the intensity. So it's not that uh, that you're pulling back, you're just changing your objective. Um, and I also think that's the phase too, that it really matters what part of the season we're in, right? Because um, it's not that when you get to the luteal phase, you can't 
sustain a high intensity or you can't sustain a, a high volume of workload. It's just that the amount of gas in the tank changes, right? So you always got to look at like, what's the cost of doing business? If we're in season and a player's in her luteal phase, then when we get like practice volleyball or soccer has to be the priority. Whatever's left in the tank after that, we can make adjustments where we need to, but the athlete performing on the field in their sport, that's the priority. And so that has to be maintained and understanding that whatever we can do underneath the surface to get them to that level is what we need to do. Okay. So, and then when you have your group's, split up in your follicular and your luteal phase you're how you're saying you know one might be two weeks here one week there and so on that's that's just based off of what you're doing with your with the tracking and understanding in general all this person usually takes a little bit longer compared to this other person who, who usually finishes a little bit sooner type of thing and that's where you determine where they go in each group yeah so i think that's kind of the the little bit of it that can take some more time um and there's different things too like you know, I talked with uh, Ernie, I guess this is like a shameless plug, but he has created um, a strength and conditioning management platform called Fit. And it has this option now to do different assigning of, of different like workout cards based on answers to the questionnaire. So you can set it up where based on, you know, where they are in their cycle, it can, it can assign different different programs based on these different like qualifiers but basically that's the human part that I do of like what's their average length of cycle and that's why you can't necessarily like come in and implement it week one right you've got to track some data and understand what's your average length and then start looking at the symptoms right so when you know I I don't have the money or the time to do like you know, ovulation testing. So I can really identify specifically when they go from follicular to luteal, but you can start to look at different lengths of cycles and averages and, and symptoms within those and start to make some educated guesses. Obviously it's not going to be perfect. Um, and that's, that's ultimately what I do essentially is I, I look at the average length of their cycle and then when, when do I see their symptoms? And then we go, you know, on what the averages are and when they, you know, like if, if a cycle comes sooner, then they'll be in the follicular group sooner. And if it comes later, they might spend more time in the luteal group and then that might change their average length. Um, but usually I go like a, a three, three cycle, like rolling average of, of their length of cycle. And then we just work together from there. Right. So, you know, if, if their period never comes then you know, we'll look at their data, we'll sit down together and we'll talk about their training load and when it was higher and lower and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit of the, the nitty gritty part. And, and that's where you really have to work together. And so that conversation of performance being the theme and having that relationship with your players to say like, Hey, I was looking at your cycle data. You know, do you want to sit down or, or asking them before, or like, you know, like I'll go to my players before practice and I'll be like, this is so crazy that no one has a menstrual cycle anymore because no one's doing their questionnaire. That's so wild. And they're like, Oh my God, Sam, I'm so sorry. You know, everyone will pull their phones out and do it. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's a continuing ever evolving process. Yeah. So, uh, just putting on putting everything together to kind of give your educated guest on on best where is that relating to everything that you've kind of stated. I guess one thing because I mean I saw a study that there's you know in elite athletes there's a relatively high amount that are on contraceptives. So how much does that affect everything? Uh, whether with with your higher training for performance wise aspects, um, um, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
Oof, that's a good question. The more that I get into that, the more I'm like, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> it, it depends on what type of birth control they're on. Um, it can also depend on if they have any cycle irregularities lying underneath of those, right? So the pill is what we see the, the most common, a monophasic oral contraceptive. Um, and I remember the first time that I presented to the soccer team and I was like, if your period on the pill is not a period, it's a withdrawal bleed. So if you're on the pill, you're not, you don't have a menstrual cycle. You don't have a healthy cycle. It's suppressing your cycle. That's how it works. Right. And, and, you know, with that communicating, if the only reason that you're on birth control is to not get pregnant, that's more than good enough because even in these diminished capacities, quote unquote, uh, you're going to be able to train better than if you were pregnant and like, that's okay. Right. And so there's this social construct of, of we expect women to take care of that, right? We just expect them to handle it, but we're, they're shamed into saying that that's why they're on birth control. Right. And so like, I remember when I was on in high school and you know, the common thing, they were like, Oh, just tell your parents. You're like, you have really bad cramps and you're a really heavy bleeder and they'll, they'll get you birth control. And I was like, okay, well, neither of those are true. So I don't really know how I'm supposed to navigate that. Uh, and so it's, it's really unique, right? And so I, I make a habit of like never asking an athlete, like, why are you on birth control? Because who knows if they're going to give me an honest answer. Um, that's just the way that we treat women about this subject. Uh, but, you know, I'll give examples. So I'll be like, oh, if, if, you know, if you went on birth control to have, you know, for these symptoms, here are some ways we can mitigate those without it, Right. Um, because we can look at how when you're on the, an oral contraceptive, um, you know, there's research that says that hypertrophy, so like cross-sectional area of the muscle will increase, but it's not usable strength because force output doesn't increase, right? So it's, you're just gaining muscle, but you're not actually increasing how much force you can put out. Uh, you know, there's, there's research that says that because of the, the, um, the internal stress, the oxidative stress of an oral contraceptive that uh, you don't recover as well. So you don't get the full benefit of your training. There's also research that says because of the oxidative stress uh, and your change in fuel utilization, you can't access your highest intensities. So, you know, there's a lot of different research. We need more as always. Um, I think the most important thing is, is the individual getting to the root of like, why do I, why am I on birth control? What are the boxes I need to be checked? And then what are my options for how to check those? Right? So I remember in one of my like original presentations, I talked about IUDs and I was like, okay, so here's a hormonal IUD and a non-hormonal IUD. And this is the way that they can affect your training you know, possibly, or this is what we see in research. And I had so many athletes, like I've never even heard of an IUD. Right. And so, uh, it's, it's, it's our job to educate our women on what's the best option for them. And sometimes it is the pill and that's okay. What can we know? What can we learn about the physiological state of these exogenous hormones to properly train them so that on the pill, they can still get the max amount of, of benefit from their training and their performance. Yeah, I guess so. If if someone were, was to be on some sort of contraceptive like like the pill, would how much would it change much, or is it is it just because uh, like the the goal of that is to suppress the hormones in general, correct? So with that, is that are you like are you throwing everything out the window that you've done and and trying to approach this differently, or is it like okay they're suppressed, but in gen, there's it's still following the central the same general pattern, 
So you're you're going to train similar, but like yeah, I guess if that makes sense. That's a good question. So I've done it in two different ways. I've I've done um, the uh, depending on what type of prescription it is, um, and and then what the the prescription of the hormones is or are. Um, I've trained like a monophasic pill where the three weeks of the standard dosage of exogenous hormones, I've trained that in the follicular phase. And then the one week of um, the sugar pills, that's when we see the body's own endogenous hormones fluctuate really high. So even though you're bleeding, it's a withdrawal bleed from these exogenous hormones. It's not actually the, the physiological state of a period. So I trained that week in the in the luteal group, right? Lower intensity because of the higher endogenous hormones. Um, I also had, I had one athlete, um, she was coming back from an ACL when I first got here in January. And so I, I think she had surgery in November or October. Um, and we did a muscular endurance and hypertrophy block for her January, February, March. And her deficit between limbs went from 40% to 39 for three months. And so, you know, I'm looking at these numbers going into spring break and I'm thinking, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Like this, this is my responsibility, right? And I had an athlete who was on almost the exact same program because she had one of them had surgery in October and one in November. Um, and she, she had decreased her deficit by significant, she was like down to like 24 and I was like, what's going on? So the only difference I could really find was a difference in birth control prescription. One was on a monophasic and one was on a triphasic. And triphasic means that you have lower levels of progesterone for two weeks. So it tries to mimic the, the phases, right? And so I was like, okay, if that's the only difference, then I need to figure out how to optimally train a monophasic birth control. So what I did was I went from three days a week of lifting to two. Um, we did, we increased the amount of stress when she was in the weight room. So I did like every minute on the minute sets. I did more dumbbell work of higher volume. Um, and we pushed the volume, targeted that mTOR pathway significantly more, talked with the nutritionist about some antioxidant supplements for the oxidative stress of the birth control. Um, and we would go like Monday on the field, Tuesday in the weight room, we would hit it super hard on Tuesday. Like it, it was usually there was some component of like almost near failure at, at times. Um, and then Wednesday would be off. So Wednesday we would do like a dynamic warm up with her and go home, just like rehab, like a feel good day. Thursday, another hard lifting day when, or Friday on the field, the whole weekend off. And so we did that for six weeks and her deficit went from 39 to seven. So what we saw was that it's not the, it's not the amount of frequency, right? It's, it's targeting, it's increasing the stress when she's in there, but giving her a lot more rest because her recovery capabilities aren't as good because of that, that monophasic pill. Um, and so I think for me, that was a big eye opener of like, I need to, I need to realize what the hormonal landscape of each birth control is and then, and then hit, hit it accordingly. Right. So what does that specific prescription do? What does it say? What can I find in research of the, of the common outcomes? And then how can I organize my training stressors so that I can optimize what, what that birth control is giving me? Yeah. Okay. So that makes a lot more sense. So it's not, 
as if obviously throwing everything out the window and moving on. It's it's taking what you know and and understanding which hormones do which to the body. And while it might be slightly different time frames than 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 a person that's a female that's not taking contraceptives, you're still going to apply the same principles that we talked about in the whole episode, but just maybe varying depending on where the hormones fluctuate throughout that person taking that contraceptive. Exactly, exactly. It's just reorganizing how you're dosing out that training stress. Definitely, okay. That makes a lot more sense. All right, cool, appreciate that. Well, thank you very much, Sam, for being on. Really appreciate you taking the time and and talking about this topic because I think it's, yeah, definitely one that's not uh, very well known and still has a really big application and importance in, in strength and conditioning. Um, if you just want to maybe shout out where people, cause I know you provide a lot more content on this, where people can follow you, where people can get more information and I'll make sure to link all those in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. Um, my Instagram and my Twitter are both Sam Moore strong, uh, S A M M O O R E S T R O N G. Uh, my website is more sportscience.com. Um, I don't have a ton up there at the moment, but I do have a few pretty big things in the works. So, um, you know, over the next couple of months, hopefully I'll be able to, to kick those things out. So, um, those that, and then also, you know, if you want to just email me, my, my NC state email is, um, on the website, but it's S R M O O R E eight at ncsu.edu. So, um, yeah. Also, I want to say thank you. Um, I know that this topic can be a little intimidating or scary um, because there's so much that we don't know and we're not sure what we can talk about and what we can't. But the more that we have these conversations, the better it is for our women athletes and, and for our athletes who menstruate. So thank you for, for navigating this territory. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, it's a good learning experience. Thank you again for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoy the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on my website, www.patrick-wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.